Welcome to Clintonville On Call, the podcast of interesting conversations with people who reside or work in the neighborhood of Clintonville, Ohio. I'm your host, Susan Gauntz. Today, I speak with Tom Snyder, also known as the Unicycle Guy, about how he became interested in unicycling, especially as an extreme sport. Tom, thanks so much for being here tonight. Sure. I am. So we're going to talk about unicycling. So how did you become involved in unicycling? Well, go down that long journey. I would have to go back to when I was 8, 9, 10 years old. I grew up in Zanesville, Ohio. My dad was an avid bass fisherman. So he's always bringing stuff he'd find along the river, uh, throwing out toys, whatever, throw them in the boat, bring it home for us kids. He says, here you go, Tommy, learn how to ride it. And I'm looking at it, and I did not know what it was, because back then in the 60s, we didn't have internet, you know, anything like that. But I looked at it, and I said, well, it's got a seat, it's got a tire on it, it's got pedals, so obviously somehow people ride these things. So it took me probably three weeks, something like that, constantly. Just, But, you know, when you're a kid, you have all the time in the world, so that's all I cared about. Right. And then... I decided once I learned how to ride it down the sidewalk, that gets a little old, okay, right. just like any other sport. So I decided to take it off-road because I lived out in the country. There, you know, streets, sidewalks kind of didn't exist back then. Today it's a big development. It's scary. But, uh, and it broke because back then, up to about 30 years ago, unicycles were strictly designed for what we call traditional unicycling. People riding in circuses, juggling, uh, that type of thing. What I do is called adventure-based. We do long-distance unicycling. We do off-road called mountain unicycling, stuff like that. And over the years, it's just like any other sport, basically. You start out with basic equipment, and then people keep pushing the limits, and it keeps involving getting stronger, but, you know, like at the bicycle world, super lightweight, super strong, they're designed to go fast, whatever the, you know, whatever discipline the uh, rider is looking for, they can manufacture anything these days for that. And the mountain, if you were to go to a local bike store and buy a unicycle, it would run you yeah, roughly 135, 150. It's great to learn on, and if you want to do the performance base, which is, again, going back to the, you know, riding in parades, juggling and stuff, which I have total respect for that, go to the local bike store, and that's what you would end up with. What you're used to seeing, what we have is totally different. Like, when you see me riding around the uh, neighborhood, I've got a really big wheel. It's Mm -hmm. designed for long distance, and I've also got mountain unicycles and street unicycles. There was a selection. A, yes. Yeah. yeah. After my unicycle broke when I was, yeah, let's say, 10 years old, that was the last time I rode. And uh, back in 2014, 2015, something like that, I'm a uh, professional skydiver, and we were training for a competition. Had a beautiful day of jumping. Came back home, and I felt bad for our dog, Lucy, because she'd been crated all day. My wife is working. Uh, she's a muralist. So I decided to take Lucy around the block. Well, for whatever reason, she decided to cut in front of me. I tripped. I had her leash in my right hand, and I landed on my right knuckles, causing okay. a boxer's fracture. So I was out of 
you know, skydiving, rappelling, all that fun stuff for the rest of the year. I knew it and I was devastated. The following weekend, my wife Brenda and I went to a garage sale and lo and behold, there's this old ancient unicycle sitting there in the garage. And my mind immediately went back to when I was a kid. I said, I wonder, it's been what, 45 years? <laughs> so I, I, I bought it for whatever, 10 bucks. And I was back to riding in about two to three days. It wasn't pretty, but I was riding. And then today with the internet, I decided I was going to Google extreme unicycling just to see what was out there. And I saw people just absolutely, men and women, just absolutely shredding mountain bike trails on one wheel. That's amazing. I just said, I'm going to do that. So then after I started mountain unicycling, I saw a YouTube video of a gentleman out in California, and he was doing all these long-distance rides to raise money for charities. And I said, aha. So I reached out to Terry. He said, take your GoPro. If you're a skydiver, you got a GoPro. I said, yes, I have several. Because I had questions. How are you able to do this? Mm -hmm. He said, shoot yourself doing it or attempting to do it. I'll give you some feedback. Wow. He said... He would say, okay, lower your seat. First step, learn how to stand up and pedal. Um, I'm sorry, stand up and do what? (laughs) (laughs) Three weeks later, I was standing up and pedaling. You know, Uh, we call it the evolution of balance because the first time somebody gets on a unicycle or a bicycle for that matter, they're not going to be able to ride it. It's just not going to happen. It'd be a miracle if somebody says, oh, I'll I'll give it a try and ride it down the street. No. Yeah. But uh, through that, Amy Drummond, uh, she and her husband, John, started Unicycle.com down in Atlanta, Georgia. And they are the ones that fabricated all the high-end unicycles we have today. So Amy reached out to me after seeing my Facebook videos. I kept sharing (laughs) Terry and said, Tom, we'd like to sponsor you. And I said, well, I've only been riding for about a year and a half. She goes, it doesn't matter. You're a good PR person. You're having fun. That's what it's about. And I said, well, okay, what does that mean? Right. And went through the rigmarole. So now I have like 10 unicycles. They're all, I get free prototypes. I field test them, give UDC or unicycle.com honest feedback on them. And then a few months later, after they tweak a couple things, you know, it's on their website available for purchase. And I happen to have the same gym hanging up in my garage now. Yeah. <laughs> Free stuff. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But that, in a nutshell, that's kind of the history of right. uh, unicycling and how I got into it. So how do, how like the group that unicycles on a regular basis, especially the extreme sports side, mm-hmm. like how, how big is that community? It's several thousand strong worldwide. It's kind of like uh, I compare it to like a mountain lion. You can go out there hiking, you'll never see one. Because we're scattered around the globe, actually. And to get, like, there's 12 people on our team, to get four or five of us together to compete together in one state at the same time, it is pretty much a godsend. Yeah, you know, it's right. a miracle because yeah. we're all over the place. 
and we all work. You know, it's, it's not what we do professionally. We do it for fun. Right. But, uh, you know, there's three other unicycles that do what I do in the state of Ohio, and unfortunately none of them are within yeah. <laughs> half an hour of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, that's great. So, well, it sounds like you're kind of tight with the community, though. Yeah, and it, thanks to the Internet, mm-hmm. we engage a lot through text, emails, and then uh, we all have GoPros, and we're all proud of, like, when I'm out riding in the woods, I'll see a log, and it's an obstacle. I need to get around that. So what I do is I go up and I hop over it, and sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't. So, you know, I edit a lot out of the GoPro, and then I send it to somebody, hey, man, I finally made it. Look, yeah. a three-foot log, and I cleared it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> On the 30th try. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like how do you get the lift to go over something? Um, The key to riding off-road, there's two of them basically. A, like I mentioned before, learn how to stand up and pedal because that enables you to turn the unicycle into a pogo stick. On the front of the unicycle saddle is a plastic handle called a lift handle. So Mm -hmm. what I'm doing is I'm focused on where the log is. And the second aspect of mountain unicycling is go as fast as you can. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to do that because your brain's going to be telling you, slow down, you're going to kill yourself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, you get up to the log and your pedals are parallel. You might be a foot and a half, two foot away. And then you just jump up as hard as you can. Sometimes I'll I'll tap the top of the log when I go over it and then hop off the other side. But that's how it's done. Okay. to see it done, you can't really tell what I'm doing mm-hmm. because it just happens so fast. Right. But when you're first learning, it's easy to see, you know, because I'm crashing all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah, right. You know, right. when you see me out there in the woods riding, you got helmet, wrist guards, elbow pads, knee pads, shin guards, because I'm 60 years old. When I fall down and I get an alley, it takes forever to heal. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, safety is important. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so you have all the gear you would wear, like skateboarding? Like yeah. that's similar? Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. And that, um, when you were talking about the different types of unicycling, uh, street style is also like when you see the kids at the skateboard park doing the flips with the board and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. we have groups that started that about 25 years ago. So we have a whole different uh, discipline in the street riding. So they're yeah. doing skateboardish tricks on unicycles in skateboard parks. Wow. So it's a whole, I've tried it and it's extremely it's really weird because in a skateboard park, it's a constant curve that you're working with. It's not mm-hmm. a flat surface. Yeah. So you have to learn how to accommodate for that. And again, you're going to fall a lot. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, a lot. <laughs> I like falling, whether I'm falling out of an airplane or falling on a unicycle. <laughs> Well, is it like, you know, how they say once you learn how to ride a bike, you never yeah. forget? Is it the same thing? We would say that with a unicycle. Yeah, you're going to yeah. have to knock a lot of rust off. And hardest thing for me is I don't think I ever, le- as a kid, I ever learned how to do the free mount. That's where you get on it without holding on to everything in yeah. sight. Yeah. You know, and uh, I didn't know that was a thing. And then when I uh, learned how this time, I was watching YouTube videos. I said, what are they doing? That's kind of cool. Called a free mount, stupid. <laughs> you know, right. and again, another three weeks of trial and error, and you finally get it, and right. now that's how you do it. Right. Yeah. Just keep trying. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Never quit. I mean, 
to me, there is no such thing as failure. You can try something and, okay, I don't like this. I don't really enjoy it. It's not what I thought was going to be. Did you fail at it? No. Right. It's time to walk away. Right. Well, you talked about your sponsorships. That was the people in Georgia. Mm Mm-hmm. And so how about charities? You just said you do charity rides. Yeah, I've done about a dozen to date. My first one was a 50-miler for Make-A-Wish. My second one was 25-mile for Pelotonia because that was the furthest they'd allow me to ride for safety reasons and everything, so I went with it. I've done one for... uh, Ronald McDonald House, actually three, I think, for Ronald McDonald House. Um, our grandson had heart issues when he was born, so he spent a lot of time at Children's. And I put myself in people's shoes that were coming from, say, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. They've heard of Columbus, Ohio, but they have that, you know, mom and dad are scrambling to find some place to stay. Right. You know, because their kids going to go have surgery of some sort. And they're on a McDonald house. It's free room and board. Right. You know, it's like <laughs> this. It it's a shining light in, in the midst of total chaos. Right. It really is. So yeah. that's why I did them. And then... Uh, uh, I think it's June 15th or 17th. I'll be doing 25 miles for the Highland Youth Garden over in the Hilltop area. Um, I saw what they're doing, and it's an amazing. There's a lot of community gardens in the area in Columbus that are funded partially by the city, some by the state too. But what Highland does is they have these elementary kids. They come in there. They help them do the planting, the harvesting, the eat whatever you want while you're there type of thing. And then if the kid, if the, the family has property, they'll, or if they're renting, they'll go to the landlord and ask them, hey, this family would like to have a 10 by 10 garden in, in this backyard. Would you allow that? And then the kid yeah. teaches mom and dad everything he or she oh, has wow. learned. Yeah. And they don't charge them anything, and they have a mentor from one of the staff people from Highland Youth Garden. And I said, you know, this is mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, and Highland Youth Garden is uh, two miles away from the nearest grocery store, so it's considered a food desert. Mm-hmm. And in that area, low income, you have people that are running. You might have two or three kids. So these families are right there in the neighborhood, so they're actually coming to the garden to get produce learn how to grow their own stuff and then once they interact to a point then highland gets involved with the family and now they got at least two dozen houses uh, with yards that have gardens in wow, them that's and amazing. i said that's you so know nice. what a way to empower each other yes you know that's so right. when people approach me about doing a uh, charity ride mm-hmm. i'll think about it because it's got a <laughs> i hate yes. to say this it's got to tug at my heart a little bit right yeah. and uh some do some don't i'm not saying that there's any charities out there that are doing a bad thing because they're right. not they're all a hundred percent but i'm only one person I've yeah. only got one wheel right. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> and yeah, limited right. time to train and that type of thing. So right. it's kind of a heart thing. I see something that really grips me deep in the heart. I said, you know what? Yeah, let's do this. Right. So what if someone wants to learn? Get with me. Basically, what I hear people say a lot when I'm out riding is, that, oh, I could never do that. And I'm thinking in my mind, I said, I'm ex-Army, Special Forces, And so I was trained to think differently. Mm -hmm. And basically what you just told yourself is you can't do it. And let's get away from it. I can try. No guarantee. Bring it. 
Yeah. You know, right. Don't tell yourself you can't do anything. Tell yourself, you know, if I had the training, I might be able to, or if I had somebody right. show me the right way to do something, I could probably do it a lot faster. And that's what I'm here for. Because mm-hmm. trust me, uh, from the time I was a kid to what I do now, one of the biggest questions I have is, how do you fall? Guess what's the first thing I teach? How to fall. <laughs> and what I usually do is I hold a unicycle up by the saddle, and then I let it drop and hit the concrete. And I say, guess what you're going to be listening to? That's all you're going to listen to for the first week. Right. You know, boom. Yeah, <laughs> Boom. Because <right. laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. It, yeah. You know, it takes persistence. The one woman, uh, she's an amazing chalk artist, too. I met her when I was doing a charity ride from uh, Ronald McDonald House. She was doing Ronald McDonald and chalk on the sidewalk out front. And she goes, you know, I've always wanted to learn how to ride one. And she and her family live over in Dublin. So I met them at the Dublin High School, the tennis court, chain link fence around it. Within an hour, she was riding. Oh, I was amazing. blown away. You know, yeah. she's, what? 17 now at that point she was 15 mm-hmm. but uh that was the first person i've ever seen get on a unicycle and ride i mean her arms were flailing and stuff like that but she was riding the entire length of the tennis court there's probably like whetstone probably like five courts in one mm-hmm. i was just like did that just happen <laughs> <laughs> why couldn't i do that <laughs> Um, but yeah, if anybody wants, you know, my um, email address is T S C H N E I D E R 4326 at Gmail. You shoot me an email saying, Hey, Tom, I heard the podcast. I wouldn't mind giving it a try. I'd be happy to come over and meet you and show you what to do and definitely what not to do. Uh, just know that you're not going to get it on the first day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll exactly. be frustrated and everything. Who isn't? We're right. all frustrated trying to learn anything. Right. And uh, just keep at it and you'll get it. And then you can do whatever you want. If you want to juggle on a parade or just ride around the neighborhood or whatever, hey, that's up to you. You know, I'll yeah. get you started happily. Well, how often do you ride? Uh, I try to ride every day. Um, when I'm when people send me riding around the neighborhood, it's usually I'm training for a long distance ride. I <laughs> I joke with people when I'm training for a ride. You can tell because I'm always riding uphill. Yeah, and because uh, that's what gets your legs. To, uh, because if you think about it, the unicycle is a true fixie, meaning there's no coasting. You, you've only got one gear. It's not like a bicycle where you can switch gears. Mm-hmm. He can always hop off and take a rest, but that's not what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm giving it everything I have because when I do, say, a 25-mile unicycle ride, people don't see the 300 miles I put in training for that 25 miles. Because when I'm out there, I'm, I'm having fun, but I'm also training at the same time. So it takes effort. Yeah. Is 25-mile usually what the... I use. I started out doing 50s, and uh, the issue I had there was with my work schedule... And, you know, right, I'd get home, I'd barely see my wife, I might have quick dinner with her, and then I'd ride till dark. I'd get up 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning, ride a couple hours, and then I'd get ready and go to work. Yeah. So I decided, you know what, I'm 60 years old, and I'm tired. Yeah. So I'm going to kick it down to about 25. Even that's pushing it sometimes with my work schedule. But at least that's doable. At 50 miles, uh, you really need to train probably three to four solid hours a day for, you know, depending on the trail you're riding for the actual ride, hills, etc. You need to be pedaling 
a couple hundred miles and you need to keep it consistent. If you have a rainy day, double it the next day, you know, because okay. you don't want to take a day off. And I've ridden through thunderstorms and everything else. Okay. So I'd stay. <laughs> it's like a lightning rod. Oh, yeah. It does make you nervous. <laughs> I will say that. But it's critical because you're going to get leg cramps and everything else. And since I've been riding for, what, six years, seven years now, I've learned some tricks of the trade, like my uh, long-distance unicycle. People say, what are those things on the front, the handlebar? Yeah. And I said, well, it's kind of. It's called a touring handle. And if you look at my saddle, the seat, it's totally flat, and it's got a groove cut out in the middle of it, just like a high-performance street bicycle uh, mm -hmm. saddle. Basically, what the touring handle does, if you're out there riding a bicycle, say, 10, 15 miles, you're going to start getting sore in the yeah. crotch. Don't mean to be rude, but that's just lack of blood flow. What the touring handle allows me to do is I push down on that, and it drops the nose of the saddle. So the blood circulates a little bit more right. so I can keep going. And then the other thing that really makes it nice is when I come to a hill, I can stand up, pull up on the handlebar. It's going to slow me down a little bit, right. but I'll be able to power up the hill using oh, leverage okay. a lot more leverage oh. so it's not necessarily cheating <laughs> yeah yeah no that's interesting because that's something you but wouldn't know if you go yeah. to a bike store and look at you know any unicycle and there's got a deep u-shaped seat and mm -hmm. it's designed to lock you into the saddle that's fine while you're learning but when you're trying to do off-road or long distance or something like that that you you're going to be feel like you're sitting on a red hot brick yeah. after the fir uh, first five miles because it's not designed for comfort. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> None of them are. Right, yeah. Bike shorts with pads, they're designed for bicycles. They don't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done yeah. that. So yeah, the, yeah. I think the icing on the cake, what, I get in a lot of pain. Uh -huh. I'm not going to lie. When I'm training, legs start cramping. You know, you're sore everywhere. But the thing that just really makes my day yeah. And I see that young mother or father pushing the stroller and junior just standing there, big old smile and pointing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and mom or dad said, yeah, he said they got one wheel. And yeah. I like it. Yeah. Man, you know, for a split second there, the pain's all gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Yeah. I live for it. And yeah, a lot neat. of people call me that have seen me riding around. Hey, you're a cycle guy. Where you been? Right. I, um, <laughs> Terry, well, one of my mentors from uh, California, he's 66, and he calls himself the Unigeezer. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> he's got it trademarked, actually. Oh, really? But he's been instrumental that's... in, uh, especially with the off-road riding, to long-distance rides. There's really not much to train with. You just... Yeah, you can stand up and pedal, and you can do some tricks while you're out there to break up the monotony, but it's basically just ride, like riding a smaller unicycle down the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. Now, the mountain unicycling, you're going to have to learn different techniques, and if somebody wants to learn, they learn. Yeah. Then they can get back with me, and, hey, let's go out in the, uh, the woods, and I'll show you how to do that, too. It's just a totally different animal, getting yeah, off the I flat, smooth concrete, yeah. and tree roots and rocks, and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and bears, oh, my. <laughs> That's, that's amazing. Well, before we tie everything up, well, you mentioned you were in the Special Forces. I should ask you about that. Yeah. Is that Army? Army? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 1980 to 96. Yeah, I was Green Beret. Uh, 
Obviously, I'm a combat veteran. I mean, if you go into the special forces, you will be deployed in right. a combat scenario. That's what you do. That's what you're trained for. Been around the world a couple times. The difference between like a Green Beret and the other side of the Army Special Forces, which is the 75th Ranger Regiment, mm-hmm. you work closely together. Uh, you know, Green Berets work closely with Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all trained in different areas what the green berets do we go into an area and we make friends with indigenous people and while we're doing that we're collecting data Mm -hmm. to find where bin laden's hiding for example and it takes months it can take a year what the uh, 75th does is exactly what seal team six did when they got bin laden they know they're 80% sure that bin Laden's within the, the confines of those walls. And so they set up a time and they do a real quick raid. That's how we got Saddam. We dragged him out of the tunnel. And that's, I've been, people, well, when my youngest daughter is now 30. When she was up there at Indian Springs, I went in with my, the boy said, have you ever been shot? And I said, yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, the reason why I did not retire is because I had my left eye hit with shrapnel over in Afghanistan. And yeah. uh, three surgeries later, you know, they restored the vision. Wow. Yeah. I mean, would I do it again? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I right. really loved it because it taught me a lot. May, taught me how to think differently. I think that's why I've been so successful in these oddball adventures. I, right. I get involved skydiving, stuff like that. It's just, and it, my job isn't to help people overcome their fear because fear is a gift. Yeah. It's given to you by God, I think, to keep you safe. Don't right. walk down that dark alley at night. Right. Yeah. You know, obey that. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. But what we do, recognize that fear. And here, I'm going to give you a complete toolbox. I'm going to open it up and show you all the tools in there so you can walk through that fear in the safest manner possible. And that's yeah. basically what the Army teaches you. Because you, when you go to combat, people say, are you ever scared in combat? I said, no. I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm not scared. <laughs> right, exactly. Because when I, when I take my half an hour nap for the day, you know, if there is such a thing, you know, you sleep with one eye open. You have yeah. to. Exactly. Because and, and and people said, how many friends have you lost? And I said, I've lost 37 of my best friends. You know, when I first got out of the military, I made a point to go around the United States for the first seven or eight months, I think it was. Yeah. And I knew where my buddies were from. Mm-hmm. And I looked up their parents and everything. I said, hey, this is, right. I was there right next to John. When yeah. the bomb went off, I was wearing uh, his right arm. I had his uh, blood on me, yeah. you know. So whatever Uncle Sam sent you, I'm just telling you I was there. And it was very emotional. Oh, yeah. But it brought closure to them and a lot of closure to me. And I just kind of pat myself on the back for doing that because a lot, a lot of veterans come home. uh, You know, they're all banged up, (laughs) not only physically, and some of them don't recover. And that's so tragic. Yeah. But I've also been open to a lot of counseling. But yeah. uh, would I do it again? Oh, heck yeah, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service. Oh, you're very right. welcome. Yeah. Thanks for giving me well, a reason to serve. Yeah. Like people say, what did you serve for? I, I said, I've served for the people, not the geographical blob on the map, but yeah. the people in there because right. they're the people, you know, they're the ones that count. That's, that's what makes America America is the people in it. And we're very fortunate here in the United States. Yes, we're screwed up just like any other country, but I've been to a lot of different countries, and I'll yeah. tell you one thing right now. We're, we're 
yeah. way up there yeah. <laughs> compared to living conditions and yeah. governments from other countries. So we're really blessed. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. This has been fun. Thanks so much to Tom Schneider for being my guest today to discuss unicycling as an extreme sport. If you'd like to see Tom in action, I posted a video on my Clintonville On Call Facebook page. And while you're there, please like it so you'll receive notifications of future podcasts. Thanks for listening.